1: To Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Nursing and Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And my guest today is Dr. Daniel Reisch, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice and Medicine, also at UMMC. And we are talking about cholesterol today. And that is such an important topic uh, because heart disease is the number one killer of folks here in Mississippi. And cholesterol plays a part in that. A couple weeks back, we talked about uh, high blood pressure and how that affects uh, your overall heart health and we're picking back up with that conversation today to talk about cholesterol and the role of that in heart health. If you want to join in our conversation, our number is one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org Good morning, Dr. Reich.
2: Good morning.
1: Thank you for coming in today. It's a cold, dreary kind of day here in sure uh, Jackson. I'm ready for the sunshine and some warmer temperatures and just lack of sogginess because it oh, yeah. <laughs> does not make you want to get dressed in the morning when I you look out totally and see agree. all that. So tell me what you do at UMC.
2: Sure. I, uh, I'm i a pharmacist, actually, and I, I'm in the school pharmacy and the school medicine. Uh, I've been doing I've been running a cardiometabolic clinic for Now, over a decade over at UMC in the medical pavilion, I also actually have a Medicare wellness clinic, and uh, I do a lot of the insulin management. I'm a certified diabetes educator and a certified lipid specialist and a certified hypertension clinician. So um, the big thing with cardiometabolics is it's any disease that can relate to your heart, and the medical management of that has become very complex, and that's kind of where my role is here in UMC and in Mississippi in general.
1: Wow, listeners, did you hear all of his certified mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, specialties? A, mm. So this is the guy that you want to talk to if you've got questions about how your heart can improve through the adjustment of uh, blood sugar levels, mm. cholesterol levels, all of those types of things. So we would love to talk with you today about that. You know, February is Heart Month, and, you know, we tend to think of it in terms of chocolate hearts and <laughs> it's That's and, right. and balloons no and and all of that. But it really is uh, also a a focus on your actual heart health and uh, heart attacks strokes that type of, of condition that we're looking at and uh, I'm glad that we're able to talk specifically about cholesterol today but we do welcome any heart health questions that you have uh, today as well again that number is one 672 7464 So, uh, you said cardiometabolic Mm -hmm. clinic. So, what kind of patients do you see in cardiometabolic clinic? Well,
2: and first, uh, let me say, uh, please do call because, as my wife says, I love to talk and I'd love to talk (laughs) to y'all. As do I. Uh, So, for cardiometabolics, um, the the patients I see are your typical Mississippians. I mean, it's people uh, walking to the left of you in the grocery store. It's people lined up next to you in the gas station. Uh, We... We here in this state uh, myself not disincluded from this list uh have some weight to lose mm-hmm. and have some uh, have some uh Health to gain, I guess you could say, Mm and uh, that's kind of what we focus on: is uh, wellness, lifestyle management, medication management, and decreasing cardiovascular risk through uh, the optimization of those things. And um, that's kind of why we started the clinic, and we started it with this multi-care approach. So you're not just seeing a pharmacist; you're seeing a physician or a nurse practitioner, sometimes both, uh, as well as potentially an RN and and, uh, a diet specialist. And that's part of why I got the certifications to add to the fact that we can see any anybody in the service and, and help people in Mississippi. So.
1: That is a great service to have. And you mentioned that it's getting so much more medically cl- complex to mm-hmm. treat folks. And, and from a primary care standpoint, I completely agree because it's one thing to say, okay, I'm treat this person's diabetes. Yeah, yeah that's not that difficult of a, of a task. But then you throw in the fact that they've got really uncontrolled high blood pressure, sure. super high cholesterol levels. Oh, by the way, their kidneys aren't working yeah. quite like they were supposed to. And maybe they've got an autoimmune illness as sure. well. So patients are getting much more complex. Uh, than they used to be and so so it takes a little of that multidisciplinary approach that you're talking about that we've got somebody from different specialties with different um, expertise that are going to be able to add to the richness of that that client visit so it's an excellent um, opportunity that the people of Mississippi have to be able to go to that clinic now I want to focus in on cholesterol and just what the heck is it what what is cholesterol
2: so just, I, to describe it, it's kind of like a waxy substance floating around in your blood. And what it's doing, it, it, that's that's what it is. and That's just what it is. It's essentially a little fat, waxy substance. But what it's doing is so many things in your body. For example, it's the basis for all cells or one of the basis for all of your cells. So you need cholesterol to live. Secondarily, it contributes to... Development of hormones, testosterone, estrogen, for example. Another thing it does that you don't even realize it does is when you get sun, that sun gets transferred into vitamin D. Without cholesterol, that does not happen. And uh, it's also one of the pieces for cortisol, which regulates inflammation in your body. So cholesterol is absolutely required by the human body. Thing is, we make enough of it in our liver. We make plenty of, actually, let's say 99.9% of it, because I have one patient who doesn't make enough of it (laughs) in my lipid clinic. There's always one that will will throw a curve in Um, it. But 99.9% of the time, we make plenty of cholesterol from our liver. Cholesterol also is in all these foods, all of them, and the, the highest rate ones are those refined carbohydrates or those, uh, those snacky sugars or, you know, we call them simple sugars mm-hmm. or whatnot, donuts and cakes and Snack whatnot. Snack
1: cakes yeah. and that kind of stuff.
2: And and, and so, what, unfortunately, in our American diet, what we'll do is we'll overindulge on, on those different things. Our cholesterol will increase in various ways, and there's various pieces of cholesterol that we'll talk about. Uh, but... But that's where it causes cholesterol toxicity, which can lead to things like heart attacks, strokes, even pancreatitis. So, uh, you know, I think the key thing, the whole thing is we do make enough of it, which is why we need to regulate our intake.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's not one of those... You know, cer- certain vitamins and minerals we're trying to maybe get through foods sure. that we eat and that type of thing. But the cholesterol, we've we've got enough. We don't actually need to look for uh, finding it on the label nope. and going, I need to add that food because nope. I might be a little low in yep. the cholesterol. You make plenty of you it. Make plenty of <laughs> so it. <laughs> it is important, but you and make it. <laughs> some of us make a little more than than other folks do. true, too. And some of us take in a little bit more uh, than we should. And it's not uh, hard to do when y- you're eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of things from pack. Mm-hmm. Um, are a lot of animal sources of things. Those tend to right. have more cholesterol as well. And that's not saying don't have animal products. You know, I'm one of those that's, if if you're a meat-free, animal product-free person, you can make that fit into your healthy lifestyle, that's mm-hmm. fine. But if you enjoy meat, dairy, that kind of stuff, that's okay, yep. too. Every You just got to figure out how to make it work for your lifestyle there. And we'll talk about some foods a little later on and how they their role in either lowering different parts of cholesterol and things that we may just need to stay away from. But it's crucial that we realize that the word cholesterol in and of itself is not a a bad thing. Just like you said, cholesterol is needed for to run your body and all the different processes. But it's when we have too much cholesterol or not enough of um, the good kind of cholesterol that we'll talk about as well, that we run into some problems. So if you guys are listening and have questions, we want to talk with you. Our number is one mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, And our email is fit at mpbonline.org. So now that we've talked about what cholesterol is, what is the influence of that on heart health? So
2: it's... Cholesterol is a pretty significant factor in terms of heart health and heart disease. I I look at it this way. It's, I guess, a metaphor for it. But I look at it this way. Um, We all brush our teeth twice a day, right? Everybody will agree with that. Maybe not, but everybody will (laughs) agree that we should. That
1: we should. Um,
2: (laughs) And so one of the things that happens when you don't brush your teeth is you get buildup. Okay. All right. So that buildup, over time, if you're not being consistent with your flossing and your brushing and all those different things, it turns into plaque. That plaque is this hard substance, really hard to get off, can't just brush it away, right? It's not that dissimilar inside of your artery. So the artery is what's carrying blood. It's kind of a tube that's carrying blood to different places in your body. And inside that artery, you'll have some buildup develop. Well, if that buildup, uh, uh, cholesterol will will help that develop into more of a plaque. Once that plaque hardens you have you have trouble getting blood through. Uh, sometimes that can be called a stroke if it doesn 't get through enough. The other thing can happen is that plaque can rupture if it ruptures and particularly if it ruptures in the heart, you have a situation called a myocardial infarction or a heart attack so uh, so that cholesterol 's role is not dissimilar to how plaque builds up in other parts of the body, like the teeth uh, and so it 's important that we mitigate that that problem as best we can. For example, brushing our teeth is one of the ways we can mitigate it there. But um, medicine or dietary adjustment is the way we mitigate it inside of our body.
1: I am loving that metaphor and I'm stealing it. So oh, <laughs> now I will be using because it's an excellent way to think about it. Right. You know, when I was in, uh, in P school, I rotated with... Um, a nurse practitioner who did uh, diabetes and endocrine mm-hmm. management and she actually had a little specimen cup and it had the plaque that they had removed from somebody's carotid arteries in sure. it you know sometimes we call it a carotid endarterectomy where mm-hmm. they go and cut that open and take out that plaque or clean it out and You know, all of our arteries, they they branch and twist and turn and all of that kind of stuff. And this plaque had done that. It had branched and twisted and turned. It looked like a chicken foot almost that had been pulled out. That's about right. Yeah. And when you tried to manipulate it, it was like the caulk that goes around a bathtub to Mm -hmm. water seal something. So thinking about that living in our arteries and stopping it up, it's easy to see how that would impede blood flow would make you have a heart attack or a stroke or just harden those arteries to the fact where we can't get blood through them. Now, our, our blood pressure is going to get worse and all Indeed. different kinds of things that are going to impact our overall heart health. So it's very, very important that we work on those numbers. Now, when you get a cholesterol report, there's several different sure. things on there. There's total cholesterol, there's HDL, LDL, and triglycerides. Yep. Those are usually the, the big four that come on your well, those report. Are the top four. What are those and what's the differences between those? Good good
2: question. Uh, so there there are more than those four uh, for our clinic we we order several more, but those are more emerging markers for cholesterol. The ones you've said are the traditional four. First off, I want you to totally forget about total cholesterol. I don't I don't even care. Uh, yeah, throw it out the door. It doesn't matter because it's essentially used as a calculative factor for the other markers. The other markers are what convey risk and reward. So, let's look at uh, the L one. Uh, LDL is your bad cholesterol. Think of it this way. L stands for lousy. That's the one that's lousy. That's the one you don't want high. So uh, your LDL measurement is the thing that can contribute to that plaque development we talked about earlier. That That's the one we want Well, if you're talking about a goal, a lot of people, most people, less than 130, uh, a a lot of the times we we look at different uh, structures for goals nowadays, but less than 130, less than 100, you're usually good to go on your LDL, your lousy cholesterol. The HDL, or H, stands for happy. So that's your happy cholesterol. That's the one you want high, H for high. Um, Unfortunately, in... The U.S. We're not that high on right. our H. Um, we're
1: not that happy. No, we're not that <laughs> happy,
2: uh, and that might be why cholesterol and depression are related. But uh, no, we're we're not we're not that happy. We we have lower HDL here, and it's primarily due to this diet that we kind of have this Americanized, Westernized diet, well, whatever you want to call it. Um, high bad, in um,
1: bad diet. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's <laughs> high in
2: omega sixes. It's low in omega threes. That init- that automatically is bad for cholesterol. It's high. High in sat fats, lower in unsat fats, and, and even when you have the unsat fats, there are a lot of polyunsats rather than monounsaturated fats. All of these things contribute to higher L or lousy cholesterol and lower H or happy cholesterol. And so uh that's that's one of our problems we have there. Then the number you're looking for there is about 40, 50, something along those lines. But bluntly, the number doesn't matter as much because the risk is conveyed when it, when that high cholesterol, at uh, high density or the happy cholesterol is low. It, it conveys risks no matter what. And it's hard to change that one. That one we can talk about in diet uh, when we're talking about foods and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. Um and then there's triglycerides.
1: Triglycerides, yes.
2: So, uh triglycerides are the hardest one to explain and as a person who actually suffers with high triglycerides myself, my whole family does. Um I can tell you that it, it, it's it's an intriguing cholesterol measure. It's it's essentially a free fatty acid or fat mm-hmm. floating around in the blood and it 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 relate it, it it's used for energy. That's what it's used for. Mm-hmm. But if you don't use energy, you store energy in your body. And your body likes storing it instead of using it in your muscle, for example, or another cell. It likes storing it as fat, or it likes storing it in worse ways, like inside your liver mm. or inside your artery or wherever it is. And so triglycerides are, are kind of this, just this bad fat floating around the blood. I, I actually have a photo of one of my patient's bloods. He has very, 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 very high triglycerides, genetic abnormality, all this other stuff. Um, when you poke his blood, his blood comes out white for about mm-hmm. two seconds, uh, and then it turns red. Um, and then when you centrifuge it, in other words, spin it, spin it, spin it, it's all white at the top. And so it's just an example of what triglycerides are actually floating around in your blood. And they're really related to not just fats, but also carbohydrates. Um, For example, triglycerides will increase if you have an increased blood sugar. So uh, there's a linear relationship there. So triglycerides are the odd measurement. But forget about total. L for lousy, H for happy, and triglycerides are odd.
1: Fantastic. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about those levels, how we might can lower that L, raise that H, whether it be through medication or diet and activity. If you want to join our conversation, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And our email is fit at mpbonline.org. Other remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell here with my guest, Dr. Daniel Reisch, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice and Medicine at UMMC. And we are talking cholesterol and heart health today. We would love for you to give us a call. We've got lots of great stuff to cover, and your calls only add to the richness of our program. Our number is 1877 MPB Ring, and our email is fit at MPBonline.org. Before we went on the break, we were talking about the different types of cholesterol that you may. See, come out on your report: your total cholesterol, your HDL, your LDL, and your triglycerides. And you did a, a very good job of talking about the fact of that the LDL is that lousy one that we want the number to come down on, and that HDL is that happy one that we want the number to be a little bit higher on. And we're going to explore some different strategies to work on those numbers uh, in just a moment. But we do have a caller from uh, Covington, Louisiana. Let's go talk to John this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you?
3: Fine, and yourself?
1: I'm great. What can we do for you today?
3: Well, first, thanks for your show. You're and, welcome. Uh, I'm 64 and uh, 168 pounds, and um, had my cholesterol checked a couple of months ago, and my triglycerides were 82, and my LDL was 91, and my good cholesterol had dropped to 32. It was 43 about three years ago. And... Uh, I have a new doctor, and he wanted me to try to start taking flush-free niacin, uh, 250 milligrams. And I'm a little confused about that because I've heard other people say that the flush-free element, uh, what's in the makes it flush-free, actually is what raises the good cholesterol, and you you might be wasting your time taking the flush-free. So I just wanted to get your uh, opinion
1: on that all right well i'm gonna turn it to him because he looks like he is ready to tell you something <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey john uh i see you're from covington louisiana is that true well yes i used to be on mississippi gulf coast till my house
3: got turned into uh, an aquarium with Katrina.
2: yeah well i actually from uh arabie louisiana myself till our house got turned into an aquarium <laughs> uh we moved on up Gosh. uh up north a little bit ourselves so uh Good to good to hear from a Louisiana boy as well. I guess a Mississippi transplant, I, I guess. So, let me let me tell you a little bit about what's happening to you. Uh, are you are you physically active, or has that slowed down over the last say two three years?
3: I try to walk is my exercise, and uh, I try to stay pretty active.
2: Okay, good. Uh, one, one of the reasons is as we age, we, our physical activity decreases a little bit, and particularly uh, during the Olympics. Am I right? I mean, we, we, just, we just don't get outside as much. It's rainy, it's cold, and all of that kind of stuff. Our HDL will drop when we, don't, when we don't exercise as well. And, John, you don't smoke, do you? no never okay that's good uh it's another thing that'll lower our cholesterol if we pick up that habit uh not really a good habit for heart heart month uh, so you'll you'll probably hear that pretty consistently on the radio um one of the things uh, the doctor told you was niacin. Niacin is absolutely a drug that can increase HDL cholesterol. Uh, the flush-free, though, is actually void of lipid-lowering be- lipid or lipid-improving benefit. It, it is vitamin B3, so it will treat pellagra, which I highly doubt you have, uh, rather than treating your lower HDL. Another thing I want to tell you is the niacin has to get to about two grams. So you, you get started on what, 250 milligrams? So that's eight capsules or tablets. So about two grams of it for it to even start benefiting the HDL. And the HDL increase is only going to be 10 to 15%. Uh, 10% of 32 is 3.2, and therefore it's only going to go from 32 to 35, and you want it to 40. So uh, I don't know that the niacin recommendation is going to be uh, meaningful enough. I think it's a safe recommendation. I don't think it's going to cause any harm, uh, but I, I don't think it's meaningful enough for your, your I don't know your full case, but in, in most cases, not meaningful enough to raise a cholesterol, a HDL cholesterol from 30 to 40. So that's that's kind of where I sit for you, John. I, I would focus more on some dietary changes. Um, I would never recommend wine, uh, but red wine does increase HDL cholesterol. Uh, and that's primarily due probably to these anthocyanins. These are these products or polyphenols or whatever you want to call them these are these these are these antioxidants in these wines and whatnot so there are other things that are high in those like blueberries and blackberries and uh, there are other things that you can do instead of the red wine that could be beneficial if the uh procyanidines like uh, anth- an- the anthocyanins, work for you. Um, some other things I would recommend are increasing your monounsaturated fats or at least increase your monos while decreasing your polyunsaturated fats because the monounsaturated fats can have a good benefit to HDL. Uh, some examples of that, avocado is a pretty good example of that. Another one is uh, nuts. Instead of like a, um, a sweet treat, maybe do an- a handful of almonds or a handful of um, even walnuts or... Um, uh, hazelnuts work. Now, now let me back up for a second. Um, not walnuts, I'm sorry. Hazelnuts is what I meant. Um, so, and macadamia nuts work too. Now, uh, don't just go get Nutella because it says hazelnut and expect <laughs> it to lower or improve your cholesterol. That won't do it. Don't go to Subway and buy a macadamia nut cookie and think that that's gonna help your high cholesterol, because that's not going to do it. The the cookie's actually gonna harm it more than help it. So so it's all about staying consistent, improving monounsaturated fats, maybe getting some polyphenols or some anthocyanines in to your diet. But in terms of flush free niacin, certainly that's not gonna do anything. But uh even niacin itself, if you got the prescription, I don't know that it would get you where you want to go.
3: Well, thank you. I- you know, the past 20 years, my, my cholesterol had always been in the low to mid-30 range, the HDL, and uh, sure. my other doctor never said a word about it, but when I changed doctors these past two years, he's he's the one that brought it up. When, uh,
2: well, you know, John, I, I can't argue with bringing it up, but... Now, one thing I will say, so there's all this data, they, they do these these surveys in the country, they say, oh, well, if you have lower or good cholesterol, it's a risk factor for, say, heart disease or stroke. That's absolutely true, man. That's an that's a, that's a honest to true thing. But increasing it actually doesn't convey the protection from that risk. So even if you bump it up, what's it doing? And the answer is, we don't know, probably nothing. And it's hard to bump up anyway. So... Uh, That's why I bring up some dietary changes, um, because those are things you can just make from a consistent lifestyle perspective that may help overall from mitigating that heart disease risk.
3: Well, thank you very much. You're You're welcome, John.
1: uh, Thank you for that call. It was a lot of great information that got relayed uh, through that. And, you know, I will piggyback on that and talk about the physical activity component as well, Um, you know. Remember, your, your guidelines are 30 minutes uh, a day, five days per week of moderate intensity, but that doesn't have to all come at one time, that you can break that up into three 10-minute uh, sessions of physical activity and still get um, improvement uh, from that. And it can be as simple as walking. If you've got bad joints, it can be some swimming, um, just anything to get you up and uh, moving. But if you've not been moving in a while, we don't expect you to get up and hit that 30 minutes um, right out of the gate. So you want to kind of ease into that. But physical activity can have an improvement on HGL. Um, I am jealous of John's... uh, LDL numbers. Uh, mine is not great, uh, and I, I thank my dear, my dear dad and my dear mom uh, for some of that. Uh, some of it is sometimes we make bad dietary choices and you, you gotta hold yourself accountable to that when it happens. But I too had a consistently low HDL um, and so physical activity is one way I targeted that now I've gotten it up over 60. I was in the in the 40-ish range and was wanting a little bit higher um, range from that. So exercise has worked for that uh, as well. I want to talk about, he mentioned niacin. Mm-hmm. So tell me what niacin is. He mentioned flush-free niacin. So what, what's the opposite of flush-free niacin? <laughs> well, <so the laughs> opposite. Flushy niacin.
2: So they're all vitamin B3, first off. niacin's vitamin B3. So um, when you have vitamin B3 deficiency, niacin, flush-free or not, is still the treatment of choice. Um, in terms of cholesterol, uh, nicotinic acid instead of this nicotinamide stuff, which I think is what the flush-free stuff is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nicotinic acid has some cholesterol benefit properties. In fact, LDL goes down, so the lousy one goes lower. HDL comes up, so the happy one goes higher. And it's best on triglyceride lowering. Those, those are the things it does. So it does all these wonderful things. Unfortunately, it just hasn't stood the test of time in terms of evidence. They've done clinical studies on it. Actually, many, many, many clinical studies on it. Some of them had some promise. And then the most recent big ones where you would want niacin to work the most, which is on top of a statin in patients that have low of the happy cholesterol and high of the triglycerides. They had to stop the study early because it was ineffective. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was causing a little bit of harm in one of the groups. And so... That's
1: a no-go. Got to stop those. That's
2: a no-go. And that was from an efficacy standpoint. Now let me talk to you about side effects. Mm-hmm. Niacin's loaded with them. All right, niacin can flip you over from pre-diabetes to diabetes. Niacin can induce gout, and if you're like my dad, that's a big thing. Yeah,
1: that would make my dad super mad.
2: Yeah, no, he he would he would be very very. He would mad kick at me, me if it didn't
1: make his toe hurt. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and <laughs> it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Uh, and then uh, it, it can do some other things in terms of your liver. In fact, the only person everybody worries with statins in the liver—that's mm-hmm. overblown. Mm-hmm. But um, the only person I've ever had at had Liver transplant on a statin was also on niacin. That's it. That's mm-hmm. the only person I've ever had in over a decade of doing this every day. Uh, so, you know, it it has some untoward adverse effects that you just don't want. And then the biggest one being you mentioned the flushing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time I read an article that. One in every nine or something calls to the uh, emergency room or for an EMS uh, ambulance for a heart attack were actually a niacin flush. Mm-hmm. That was at some point in the country where it was a, a peaked drug or something along those lines. It, it it feels horrible. It's like you were in a hot shower and you jumped into a freezer uh, or something along those lines Um now, there's ways to mitigate it. For example, you can take it with applesauce. Uh, that's a great way to mitigate it. Um, the pe- apple pectin helps uh, helps it absorb later in the intestine. Uh, you take it with an anti-inflammatory, for example, a full-dose aspirin, mm-hmm. 325 milligram aspirin 30 minutes before. You can do it with ibuprofen, too, if you want. Take it before bedtime. Don't shower after you take it. All these things will help mitigate the flushing. And at one point when niacin was showing most promise and we were starting it in patients, I had my flushing rate down to maybe 1%. Every 12 patients even got a flush. Okay. So the flushing can be mitigated, but when you get it, it is horrible. And it's worse. Most, it is, it is most prevalent in your over-the-counter niacins. Mm -hmm. So the things you pick up that you don't know any better what to do because you haven't talked to your doctor or pharmacist yet, you will flush. Yeah. Almost assuredly.
1: Yeah. So... Probably not the best choice out there, and we'll talk about some of the other choices out there for lowering cholesterol uh, when we come back from the break. If you want to give us a call, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING, and our email is fit at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and here with me today is Dr. Daniel Reisch, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice and Medicine at UMMC, and we're tackling the topic of cholesterol and how it relates to heart health today, and we've put out a ton of good info this morning, and we would love to answer some of your individual questions. Uh, you can uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can send us an email at fit at mpb.com online.org. Before uh, we went to the break, we had a great caller who was talking about niacin, and he was talking about it in relationship to um, raising your HDL level or that good cholesterol. But niacin has also been around for treating triglycerides um, uh, to some extent. And there are some other things that can be used to treat triglycerides uh, as well. And there are some over-the-counter products that people may pick up and, and try. One in particular, fish oil, uh, has been used. Tell me about fish oil. What it what it is? Does it work? Should we do it? And yeah. What about if you get the fishy burps?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, fish oil is good. I, I, look, there's so many studies that have been done that. Fish oil has antioxidant properties. Fish oil has anti-inflammatory properties. Fish oil actually has cardiovascular saving evidence in, in, in different races. We haven't done one here in the U.S., but in different races in clinical trials on top of a statin even. Fish oil is good. A couple problems, okay? you got to get to a big old hefty dose of fish oil. So, for example, if you go pick up a bottle of fish oil at your local drugstore, grocery store, and you take like one or two, you're getting no cholesterol benefit. Mm-hmm. Now, really, really good for the skin, believe it or not, at about one or two a day. Good for the skin. Hor- you, know, you, need to, you need to get horribly high amounts, though, to hit cholesterol benefit. And that benefit is typically triglycerides. Fish oil actually can increase that lousy number, the mm-hmm. L number. Uh, but typically, the triglycerides, it can have great lowering effect. The dose, though, as I tell my patients, is you pour fish oil in your hand and throw it at your face with your mouth open. Whatever <laughs> sticks, do that four times a day. And that's the dose of fish oil. That's good. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it, it what it comes down to is eight to 12 capsules a day. Uh, it's almost impossible for a per- And have you ever seen those fish oil They're capsules? They're big. They're not small. They're big. So... Um, something I actually do is now you're gonna you, I, your face is gonna turn when I say this. <laughs> something I actually do is I recommend um, a liquid fish oil. So it's actual oil you pour and do one tablespoon. And day. see her face. I changed. did
0: make a yeah, face because yeah, that I said her
1: face
2: was so. Uh, and believe it or not, the one I recommend is one Norwegian taste test. That's a thing. They have taste test competitions for different tasting fish oils in Nor- in, in Norway. So to
1: get them something else to do you, over there. The,
2: <laughs> the one I, the one I recommend you can buy it at like a. Rainbow Grocery Store, or on Amazon, or all these things, and um, you get the benefit of taking like eight to twelve capsules of the -the over-the-counter stuff, and you need it. You don't need a prescription with it. It's some good stuff. Now, I'm not saying it tastes good. It tastes like an oil, but it's essentially tasteless. So it's like an oil that you're drinking. It's not like a fish oil that you're drinking. Could
1: you stir it in something?
2: You could if you wanted to, as long as it's a tablespoon. That's the key. A teaspoon's really not going to be sufficient. Not going to get it.
1: Tablespoon once a day? Tablespoon
2: once a day. That's not
1: bad. It's really not bad. I could choke that down. You'd be surprised how many people are able to do it.
2: Yeah, Tals so it. that's <laughs> what I do if I do over the counter. Now, there's a prescription fish oil. that The brand name's Lavaza. There's a prescription fish oil. It's four capsules a day. It's highly purified. It's regulated by the FDA. I know what you're getting. You're getting four grams of fish oil. That 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 works, but I mean the cost, mm. right, guys? The cost of these prescriptions. I, I mean, are you kidding me? The most of the time, like mm. if it's not generic, I can't prescribe it, and that's just what it's going to be. And this one doesn't have a generic, so we mm. uh, we we struggle prescribing it. And there's a secondary component. Even if you have tri- high triglycerides, and your the fish oil is like indicator for you to say your triglycerides are 450, you can't even get it covered by say a Medicare or an insurance provider unless it's over 500. No. Yeah, so even if you like totally qualify for it, and it makes a lot of sense for you to be on it, I can't get you on it. Right. And then it has a few side effects: The fishy burps or fishy taste or uh, f- um, th- th- whatever you want to call it. Uh, it occurs. Um, I've actually done a study that shows that freezing the capsules does not do anything. I was going to ask
1: about that because that you know that floats around on the internet that you put those in the freezer. Of and then now you just have cold in, fish. In oil. fact,
2: the freezing people are more likely to miss their middle day dose because they're not by their freezer. Ah. So. It increases noncompliance while the adverse effect still occurs. Okay. That's what my study showed. Um and so there's not much you can do to mitigate it. If you are sensitive to the fish, you're probably going to be sensitive to the fish. Um, so what I would suggest is taking it less times a day. And by taking it less times a day, I would still suggest that liquid that I told you since it's only once a day. Yeah. So um, you know you just got to have to get with your doctor to mitigate risk on on the side effect because it, it probably can happen. And mm-hmm. um, you now it doesn't cause a whole lot of other things, some stomach pain and some infection risk, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty. It's a pretty uh, neutral drug. In terms of side effects, and it is effective, but only at high doses for cholesterol. Yeah.
1: And always make sure that you're talking with your healthcare provider so that they know that you're on mm-hmm. these things. You know, no I've had patients who have said, Well, I didn't want to tell you because I was afraid you were going to be mad at me that I was doing something over the counter. No, that's not I, my job.
2: I'm more mad at you if you don't tell me because then right. if I prescribe something that interacts, I'm not doing good. Right, right. Yeah. That
1: That's my view on it as well, you know, because there are things that I, I want to know. In particular, if you're going for surgery, you know, there are different supplements that may thin your blood out a little bit more than I would like for them sure. to do and I want to stop that before you go to surgery so just make sure that you tell your provider about any of those supplements yeah. that you're on you know and then let us talk with you uh, yeah. with those and say you know this one absolutely this one we know there's good data that it works yep. this one you probably wasting your money on this one you know that kind of thing you know a lot of times folks think that Healthcare providers are completely anti-complementary therapy, but we're not. We just want you to spend your money on the things that work that yeah. are not going to hurt you. No, you know? I'm, I'm
2: very complementary therapy. Yeah. Most of my research is done in the area of complementary and alternative mm-hmm. medicine. Yeah. So I'm a pharmacist who likes complementary medicine. Yeah. So, um, and uh, I, I, and I would, I would highly recommend fish oil, but you got to do it the right way. You got to be informative with your physician, your nurse practitioner, whoever your healthcare provider is. It, it's critically important that we know everything going on with. your your health so we can make the right choices. All right,
1: All right. So we've talked about the over-the-counter stuff. Now, the elephant in the room when we're talking about cholesterol is the statin mm. class of medication. Things like Lipitor and Crestor and mm. Pravacol and those types of medications. Everybody loves those. Every, <laughs> I've never had a patient say, can I get one of those? Yeah, can I, can yeah, I get a so statin? Have to find those. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a lot of fear behind that sure. class of medication. Is that fear Warranted?
2: That's an interesting question. First, the statins um, have a very large role in terms of efficacy of preventing heart disease. That's just what the it, it's just true. They work. Um, in terms of preventing strokes, preventing heart disease, pre- preventing revascularizations and hospitalizations. They do all these different things and they do it in different areas, too. Like so, if you have diabetes or if you don't have diabetes, but you have this uh, some kind of risk or if your profile looks in a certain way that. They're actually extremely effective. Okay, so we get that out of the way. So they work. So they, they work. They work. There's no doubt. All and and I think they're all generic now. Maybe one of them still branded. I think there's one branded came out late after uh, the rosuvastatin did. And so uh, I think there's one branded left. But they're all relatively generic. They're all generic, relatively affordable. Um, thing is tolerability, not affordability, not efficacy, safety. Mm-hmm. Okay, people worry about some of the things like liver. I'm not worried about that. The the National Liver Society, the uh, the AA whatever uh, for liver diseases came out and said you don't even really have to monitor it. it if in fact, statins help treat fatty liver, right. which is most likely going to be associated with your obesity, dyslipidemia, diabetes cohort of patients. Um, and so I, they're, they're actually beneficial for the liver in most situations. I, I'm not worried about the liver. So we need to, we need to come off the liver issue. Um, now, myopathy is the big one. So there's, there's three stages I'll tell you about. There is a very common side effect with statins called myalgia. That's just this uh, muscle weakness, tenderness, or, or pain. Um, that it, it's not inundating your entire body. Maybe it's located in one muscle, like the quadriceps or the the thighs, or or even the shoulders, or something along those lines. And and it's causing just this this I don't know this this irritating pain. Not not something that's sharp or whatnot. Just this dull or aching pain. That's that typical myalgia. The rest of your body's not really involved in that, and that's common with statins. The other two are called myositis and rhabdomyolysis. R- myositis is where the rest of your body starting to get involved. It involves more muscles than, say, one or two. Um, it, you, you actually have whole body inflammation start yeah. kicking up. A measurement called CPK really starts picking up, too. Um, and so that's one of those things where you really think about lowering the dose of statin, changing the statin, or stopping the statin altogether, Okay. And then you have rhabdo. Rhabdomyolysis is is life threatening. Yeah, not it's good. A bad thing. It's when your kidney starts breaking down because it can't process the muscle breakdown product called myoglobin that's filtering through the kidney. So you start peeing red, but it's not blood. Right. It's it's actually your muscle it looks breakdown. It's like
1: tea almost. Yeah. Um, it's like
2: yeah when you have yeah, red plus red yellow plus urine plus yeah, usually is kind brown. Of a, yeah. It's um so, yeah
1: yeah it's, like almost coke colored. It's not it's mm-hmm. not a good thing um, no. when you see that. And so I always tell my patients, incredibly rare, but if you happen and to notice any changes in your urine, yeah. I want to know about it. Like the day it happens don't Critically say well i'm gonna important important see her in a couple of weeks one. uh no go ahead and give yeah. me a call on that now and there,
2: there's varying degrees just because you have a little bit of brownness doesn't mean you need to go to the er right away there's a mild rab though but there are more severe ones but look if you get to the more severe you're already in so much pain yeah um, that's
1: going to be what drove you to yeah to see you're already somebody. going
2: to the er uh, but those those my those myalgias tend to be the things that cause tolerability issues with that statin class um there are some other things to worry about um But I guess we can go to a caller.
3: Yeah, we've
1: got a call. So we'll put a little pin in that and we'll come back to it in a minute. But we'll go talk to Cheryl in Starkville. Good morning, Cheryl. Hi. Hi, how are you? Hey, Cheryl. Okay. Thank you for answering my questions. Yes, ma'am. Well, we'll do our best. Okay.
3: My cholesterol is uh, 223, but I have uh, HDL is 126, uh, triglycerides 57 and uh, the LDL is 86, and I'm just wondering, and it always stays up like that, the HDL, and my doctor says it's good, but I'm curious about it. Why would it do that, and could it be fluffy particles, or could it be small particles?
2: Wow. All right, Cheryl. That was a great That's question. That was a good question. Uh, yeah. So, well, first off, Cheryl, having a 126 HDL is is kind of like winning the lottery. Um, that is one of the higher ones I've heard. The highest I've ever had my clinic is 146. Uh, the adverse effect to having a high HDL is longer life. Uh, they actually <laughs> have done a study on this. Wow. Um, there was an island uh, somewhere in the Pacific or something where the average HDL was something like 85 or something, and people had. 200 hdls and the average life expectancy was somewhere in the high 80s to 90s or something along those lines this was a long long time ago and i probably couldn't even find the study anymore but the the point is having a high hdl means that you're going to have a longer life so that's always good cheryl um then that's why it's a good thing uh there there uh sometimes people Talk about HDL viscosity in the blood increasing blood pressure. That's only if you're artificially increasing your HDL. If it's your native HDL, you're all good. So, so your your lipid panel is beautiful. And I want to note your lipid panel is a perfect example of why total cholesterol is meaningless. Because with a high HDL and the other two being low, even though your total cholesterol is over two hundred, it's not actually a bad thing. Um, now, your question about fluffy or whatnot is very interesting. So, uh, y- so it's not really with HDL, more so with LDL, you can have type A and type B particles. So it depends on the particle size and kind of the density and, and the stickiness. Okay. You mentioned fluffy. Fluffy means it can bounce off. Um, you want those particle sizes that are large, buoyant, they're bouncy and they don't kind of stick. Now this is with LDL particles. Um, the, the little small ones that are really sticky, they can stick to those lesions in your arteries and cause that plaque that we talked about earlier so that's that 's kind of what you 're looking for you want the the, the, the more buoyant um, Particles. Uh, in terms of your lipid panel, there's almost no way to tell based on just your lipid panel what kind of particle size you have or what percentage you have of A or B or whatnot. Um, what I can tell you is that you do not have an atherogenic lip, lipid profile. Atherogenic would indicate an elevated triglyceride with a low HDL or low LDL and a high LDL. Uh, and yours is non-atherogenic, so chances are your particle sizes are closer to the little fluffy ones, like you mentioned. Um, So that combined with HDL means that your cholesterol is very good. You hit the cholesterol lottery, Cheryl
1: your information. You're welcome, Cheryl. Thank you for that. And I would take her lipid pro- pe- profile as well uh, as my own. It's a great one.
2: Uh, I would uh, take just a couple of points <laughs> off her HDL. It wouldn't affect know, her. It, it would help me. Add it to
1: mine uh, <laughs> to see if I can bump it up there. So lots of great information with that. So uh, back to our statin talk that we were having. And I will mention that we've got a couple of open phone lines. And now is the time if you've got a question, now is the time to get that in so that we have time to get to your question before the end of the hour. Our number is one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. So statins, we talked about the kind of myalgia or the muscle achiness. We talked about the actual muscle breakdown that can come on with those. Um, neither of them are incredibly common, especially the rhabdo. Um, we don't see a whole lot now. Several years back. Um, there was some info out there that if you took a coenzyme Q10 with your statin, that that would mitigate the uh, myalgias associated with that. Is there any truth behind that statement?
2: Well, there's a lot of things we can do for myopathies with statins. So one of them is, uh, and I'll mention coenzyme Q10, but one of them is vitamin D correction. Um, I have done research at the medical center, so this is affecting Mississippians, and then someone actually uh, either duplicated or did the trial at the same time in Minnesota. So irrelevant of sun exposure, right? Uh vitamin D, low vitamin D is a higher predictor of having statin-induced myopathy. Correcting it does improve statin tolerance. So that's one of the things you want to look for. Another thing, if you have uncontrolled hypothyroidism, you are more likely to not tolerate your statin. So correcting that hypothyroidism is critically important before even starting a statin, to be mm-hmm. honest, um, which is why I always check a TSH before I start a statin. statin. Um, and then... Uh, you have some other mitigating factors. So one, one that people have have garnered is the coenzyme Q10. Mm-hmm. Now, coenzyme, it, the the rationalization for this is because coenzyme Q10 turns into Q2, okay, in the body, which goes into the muscle, and inside the muscle, that's where it has its benefit. It, it, ubiquinone and and whatnot mm-hmm. is what the uh, you know technical terms are. The big thing is for the enough Q10 to get into the muscles Q2, you have to have a whopping dose mm-hmm. of it, like solidly two to four hundred milligrams. And if I'm not mistaken, it comes in about a 50 milligram mm-hmm. tablet. If the, well, the affordable one. The affordable does, ones, yeah. yeah. It comes about 50 milligram tablet, which means you need four to eight tablets just to start impacting them. Additionally, I, I don't know that it has too consistent of evidence in terms of treating myopathy I think probably myalgia that weaker type mm-hmm. that occasional type um, you might be able to get off with and say I can tolerate more but uh, myositis probably not yeah. so it'd probably be only in your mildest type adverse effect which is the most common at the highest dose and it uh, based on studies about 30 to 40 percent effective so
1: gotcha alright we've got a call from Marsha in Jackson good morning Marsha hello hello how can Uh-oh. we help you
3: yeah i got a question about statins a while back y'all talking about the side effects sure i was on statin and they put me on several of them trying to do this mm-hmm. and when i take it i would get severe leg cramps okay uh in my calf the kind where you cannot even where your feet curl up and you cannot even straighten out your day. yeah yeah sure <laughs> okay is that 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 is a side effect, then, because I've well, had several friends. And all by the way, all of them are women. Yeah, <laughs> all like my women friends.
2: Yeah, well, actually. Uh... That's what I yeah, that'll that'll happen. I, I actually have uh, women will report the my, myopathy uh, a little more commonly than men, but women will report adverse effects a little more more commonly than men in general, uh, because men will just either stop the drug or not complain unless they're prompted for some reason. I don't know why that is. I wish they would tell me that they're having right. a problem, but um. Okay. Well. Yeah, but for your your question, so the leg cramps. So that that's multifactorial, Marsha. You, you, leg cramps can come from several different sources, okay? Including yeah. as simple as dehydration, okay? I, so I uh I can't absolutely comment on that. So you saying it was a, in both legs? It was in both legs mm-hmm. and when I quit taking
3: the statins, I quit getting the leg cramps. Yeah, it it, it, it absolutely
2: yeah it could be temporally related okay you could have a temporal relationship okay. you absolutely could have uh, what a, a, a side effect what I would have done is I would have checked your CPK level while you were having it if it was elevated then that's most likely myositis from a statin it does not sound okay. like myalgia that mild version because it, it's bilateral yeah, it's, it's including both legs so I would have checked Bye. some labs to absolutely confirm but it sounds like temporally you had the adverse effects you've tried several the statins and and it's happened again and again. Is that correct? That's correct. So they have a scoring for adverse effects called Naranjo, and on the Naranjo scale, you'd probably you'd lead into a probable adverse effect from statins, and probable is enough for me to To try something else. However, I will tell you, some statins do have lower rates, especially at lower doses, of having these type side effects. So you can see your lipid specialist, um, uh, and they might be an endocrinologist, maybe, and they might be able to help you get on something that could be more beneficial for you.
1: All right, Marsha, we hope that helps, and uh, thank you for your call. And we are all out of time for uh, this edition of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. If you didn't get your call in today and you've still got a question our email is fit at mpbonline.org and i'd like to thank my guest dr daniel Reisch, for joining me today and helping answer these questions about cholesterol and i will have him back because he has a wealth of information about uh, metabolic processes and how they relate to your heart health uh, thank you for listening to southern remedy healthy and fit and remember to tune in every weekday at 11 for the full southern remedy lineup
2: thank you guys
0: This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.